0: You're listening to A New Lens. (laughs) I did a little, ooh. My name is Calvin. Gary and I started this podcast to talk about film and television that we liked as kids through the new lens of adults and amateur filmmakers.
1: And, oh boy, everybody, we've got one that... uh, I think this is like, this is one that we could put on like a poster for our show. Like, if we had, you know, like, if we were trying to advertise a new lens, this is the perfect movie. This is, like, what Uh, we're doing right here. Yeah. Yeah, right here. And the experience I had with it was the most a new lens experience I've had. You know what I I mean? I feel
0: like more than a lot of films that we've talked about so far, we will talk a lot more about like what we remembered as kids about this movie you know yeah a lot of it i feel like has been vague like snow dogs i remembered the movie but like you know it was mostly Dr.
1: gadget i kind of remembered that like but this was like because of how emotional this this movie is and like how effective it is it just stuck with me better than but I didn't realize that until yep. this experience. So now you're about to experience it with us. Well, we'll stop uh,
0: teasing you on the title, although I'm sure you saw it when you clicked on the episode. We're talking about The Iron Giant from 1999. Oh, man, dude. I'm so excited to talk about this for. Just hearing the name like, out loud gives me so many
1: reasons. After just watching it
0: yeah oh man i enjoyed this movie so so much on rewatch and i really don't think i've seen this in over 10 years
1: bold 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 statement here that might have been the best movie i've ever watched
0: damn watching
1: it last night might have been like the entire time i was thinking there's got to be something in this to make it not the best movie I've ever watched. Otherwise, it's just going to be because right now, mm-hmm. this is the perfect movie. <laughs> this is just perfect. It's like the first time I saw Jurassic Park. You yeah. know? But honestly, a little more. There was something about it. And last night. And, oh, but yeah. it. And then it ended. And I was like, shit. That was perfect. That might have been the best movie I ever watched. I, uh, I am a yeah. very hyperbolic guy. You guys listen and know. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Almost every episode I say that, oh, this is my favorite moment. Or, yeah. This is, like, one of the best things in television history. It's fun to live but, that way, man. You know what? Yeah, come yeah. on. Give me a break. Like, that's just how <laughs> yeah. I live. And uh, I'm not going to let my broad statements undermine the beauty of this movie. I'm saying that as, like, hard-hitting as I can. Genuinely. Yeah. This movie fucking fucks. I gotta
0: say, <laughs> <laughs> genuinely, man, fucking fucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I'm I, I have a little bit of mixed feelings on this scenario that uh, I watched it because I watched it with Eva who said she has never seen it before. And I was like, "Oh my god, this will be incredible." And it was really good for a lot of reasons and to watch her, you know, intake the story for the first time. But also, you know, you have a little bit of that pressure of showing somebody something you know you love and like wanting them to love it as much and that's either this. the best
1: or worst thing. You know what I right. mean by that? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going to be honest and listeners will probably be like well duh anytime i've ever showed calvin something with that weird sense of pressure and hope it almost always has such a satisfying payoff where we both finish off the movie and look at each other and i know he gets it and was like yes i'm glad i showed him that every now and then it doesn't but almost everyone else in my life (laughs) i'm like I just watched <laughs> this indie horror movie from Spain, and I swear to God, you are going. I, uh, it's gonna blow your mind. And yeah. halfway through the movie, I look over, and they're like on their phone, and I'm like, well, "Oh man, well, that that
0: ooh, it's specifically
1: ooh, a problem when you're watching a movie, and the person I know doesn't speak Spanish, so I know right. they're not knowing at all what is happening." That's like, a really good point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I know right. they don't care. And, you know, <laughs> right. I'm not going to call out anybody because it's happened with so many people that I would have to sit here for the rest of the podcast. And yeah. no offense, guys. I get it. My taste yeah. isn't for everyone. Yeah. But
0: anyway, yeah, that's and, a really and tough she, feeling. she really liked it, too. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to call her out. Well, I I actually will definitely call her out uh, later in the episode. I'm, I'm sorry, Eva, but uh, we'll get to that later. Um, but, <laughs> it, I mean, it was a good experience. And, man, yeah, cried, laughed, got extremely nostalgic at a few specific moments. But I think uh, before we start diving in and talking about different aspects of this movie, let us recap it for you because I don't know about... Uh, anybody listening but genuinely it's been like over a decade since I saw this movie and it was very influential to me so hopefully I can give you just a a little outline to ring some bells in your mind
1: Ding, ling, ling.
0: so the iron giant starts with a satellite in space and something massive from space flies by it enters the atmosphere and falls into the ocean this lone fisherman on a fishing boat sees it and crashes into it, but he doesn't see it quite enough to get good details, and he washes ashore. We then skip to him telling the town about his experience and what he saw at this local diner where we meet our main character, a young boy named Hogarth. He loves animals, he loves saving creatures in need, Uh, he brings in a squirrel in a box with holes poked in it, and his mom is basically just like, not again. It's a very great introduction to this character, but we also quickly learn that he loves films and comics and adventure, and he has this, you know, striving for that. And so, one day, he sees a trail leading off into the local forest, the forest by his house, and he he follows it and discovers this giant iron man and this giant iron man starts to eat metal uh surrounding this power uh plant power not power plant this these like power lines what do you call that you know like a, yeah, a generator uh, center like. yeah
1: it's like you know the the spot that all the power for this town comes from right i don't know what that's <laughs>
0: yeah it's got the power lines uh branching it's out it's a small which is, town so uh, it, it
1: makes sense that there would be this like right. small smallish power line area because it's yeah. not like massive it's just this area yeah, yeah. um well the Iron Giant
0: eats something attached to this actual power current and gets stuck being electrocuted by these lines, and Hogarth decides to save him. He finds this switch to be able to turn it off, and this moment creates a bond between the two. They continue to start to meet up, but meanwhile, this fisherman who saw the Iron Giant in the ocean has called the authorities, who is led by Kent... This ginger, (laughs) just douchebag Uh. officer who's trying to prove himself. He has been sent alone out to investigate this, and he's trying to make a name for himself with this case. Now, Hogarth decides to hide this Iron Giant with uh, a local <laughs> a local that he's met and created a little bit of a relationship with named Dean. He's a local scrapyard owner, which is perfect for this Iron Giant that eats metal, and also a sculpture artist, which is really cool and we'll talk about it, but it's not an aspect I remembered distinctly. It's sort of something that flies over your head as a kid, as Gary stated uh, before we started recording but they start to hang out together and spend time together and dean and hogarth together teach this giant language and how to love and about concepts of pain and death and they play and talk about stories and good and bad and just bond in this beautiful beautiful way but the more that kent digs eventually he finds a picture hogarth took with the giant and it's just enough evidence to get the army flown in so the army is searching for this thing discovers that it uh, a clue that it's going to be at dean's scrapyard and after they successfully hide the giant as one of dean's sculptures uh the army is about is heading out and dean and hogarth and the giant are hanging out in this scrapyard And Hogarth points a toy gun at the giant. And we've gotten some hints throughout, but now we really see what the capabilities of this giant and what it's designed to do are capable of and how much destruction it's able to, uh, you know, wreak. And Dean, trying to protect Hogarth, who almost got destroyed by this laser of the giant, sends the giant away. The giant is... uh, dejected and walking through the woods and two boys in the center of town see this giant from afar through binoculars and in straining to try and see him they break the railing and they are caught hanging holding on by one hand uh, from this railing. The giant sees this and rushes into town and saves these two boys and so the town gets to see this giant for the first time and in a context of it saving these two young boys but the army immediately rushes in to try and trap the giant and to take it down which by pointing weapons at it sparks the true capabilities and it really becomes a giant weapon of mass destruction that is like pretty breathtaking and like really hard hitting i forgot how like terrifying this giant turns into But Hogarth is able to calm him down, bring him back to centered, kind giant, show that he is not just a gun, but the army, because of Kent's bullheadedness and deciding he's got to be the one to make this decision and tell them to launch the missile, a missile is launched directly at the giant and thus the town. The the missile is directed directly at the town, dooming basically everyone in the town. There's no way to get away in time. The giant seeing this and wanting to fulfill his role as Superman instead of the giant evil robot decides to fly off into space where this uh, missile is making its arc back down and blow it up in space, thus blowing himself up and saving everyone in the town. And then we get that beautiful little uh, epilogue story with uh, the one screw being sent to Hogarth, the last remnant of the Iron Giant, and it rolling away, and that final, beautiful final shot of uh, all the pieces starting to roll back together. And that is the moving tale of the iron giant as much as i thought was uh worth recapping for our purposes in this podcast
1: man i feel like i relived it holy cow what a good movie oh it's so, it's so good, good. Oh, where do man. we even start so we have a little way that we order things on the podcast to make it easier so we don't just ramble about every little detail in the movie uh, what's our first uh, little starting category, Calvin? Oh boy, our first starting category
0: is at the birth of this movie. We gotta talk about some pre-production, and I have so much really cool stuff. There is so much really cool backstory to
1: this movie. I'm really excited to hear about this, because I I know few things. I know a little bit about Brad Bird, the director, and uh, sure. one of the screenwriters, but I don't know too much about the... the, the uh, Where did this movie came from? Where did this come from, Calvin? The origins. What are the origins? Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, uh, there were a couple things that struck me uh, as the credits were rolling that I was like, I need to look more into this. First was that this is based upon a book, which I kind of thought was a high possibility, but I was like, okay, I got to look into that more. And then the second was I saw there was a credit in this movie to a name I recognized That has nothing to do with movies, to my knowledge. I was like, wait, Pete Townshend from The Who? The lead guitarist of The Who? So this book, The Iron Man, was written in 1968 by poet Ted Hughes. He was named Poet Laureate in the 80s. Or uh, early '80s, yeah. But he he was a very prolific writer, and he wrote this story actually to comfort his children after their mother Sylvia Plath, another famous poet, had uh had died. So Pete Townsend, who loves this story, chose to adapt this book uh in the late '80s into a concept album called The Iron Man. A musical in 1989 uh, so he has created all this music based upon this story and then they start to develop it into a musical and they did actually it, it premiered in 1991 uh, in London so this was a musical before anything else which is pretty wild to me and apparently all these I had no idea all these versions of the story are very very different um, there's lots of, you know, different uh, minute details in, in how the story plays out, but the general story is always the same. So in 1996, uh, the story is acquired by Warner Bros Animation. Now at the same time, Brad Bird, he he'd had a couple projects that put him on the map. Uh, namely, an animated episode in Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories anthology anthology show that did really, really well. Um, so this, amongst many other things, had got him noticed by Turner Feature Animation. Now, Turner Feature Animation and Warner Bros. Animation. Turner Feature has Brad Bird. Warner Bros. has the Iron Giant. And they make a merge... And the first thing to come out from this merge is a movie called Quest
1: for Camelot, which flops so badly. I think I've seen that. That sounds like a movie, a shitty movie I saw. Because 1996, that's when I was born. 1998
0: is when Quest for Camelot comes out.
1: Oh, man. uh, I've definitely seen that shit. Yeah,
0: and looking up pictures, there's a two-headed dragon uh, that's, like, only slightly larger I've than people. L- one with a long neck, one with a short stout neck. Yeah, I've definitely seen Quest for Camelot. But I've seen this, for sure. You know what? This one, Uh, you want to go ahead and throw that on our Google Doc for options for this show? Because <laughs> I don't remember we it pretty much to. at all, but it very much looks like, uh, y- you know, I, yeah. I, I very much remember these images. Yeah. So Brad Bird is signed on to develop a thing called Ray Gun. It never quite panned out, but it's... It's similar enough to this project that they give Iron Giant, because Turner Feature is now no more and they've merged with Warner Bros. They give Brad Bird Iron Giant. And because uh, Quest for Camelot had flopped so fucking badly, they had fired almost all of their animation department like in the management and stuff like that. So here's Brad Bird with a ton of funding, because we've got two huge companies coming together but not a lot of faith, and so the studio executives are not getting involved very much. So yet again, we have a wonderful, beautiful movie coming out of studios stepping back and not getting too involved, and the director getting to just make the movie they want to make, based on so much like processing by other artists who really just took it as a passion project, you know? Ted Hughes wrote it as a project for his children. Pete Townsend adapted it into more modern. And then Brad Bird took it and was able to just make this beautiful story out of all of
1: this. I might, unless you're about to continue with the another tidbit, I might have uh, a little thing for you that I just saw on the top of IMDb trivia. I'll admit yep. to it when I'm on IMDb <laughs> trivia and yeah. I'm not doing like extensive research. Uh, this is some of the most beautiful IMDB trivia I've ever read. So, as you said, Brad Bird was allowed to create the beautiful project he wanted to. Mm-hmm. And Brad Bird was in part inspired to make this movie as a memorial to his sister Susan, who died at the hands of her husband by gun violence. Oh my God, his pitch for this was, what if a gun had a soul and didn't want to be a gun?
0: Oh, uh, (laughs) like that heart is so apparent in this movie, you know, Yep, it is that from start to finish in goofy moments, in deep moments, the passion involved in the messages, in the characters, in just the story being told is so just like easily, easily apparent right away. Yeah. So let's get into a little bit of the uh writing and direction um absolutely written by brad bird and uh brad bird had a story breakdown basically and he worked on it with tim mccanley's who actually wrote the screenplay from the the story outline that brad Do bird know this had, guy uh, tim mccanley's guy he uh he really does not have a whole lot of credits um, he worked on Smallville that, well, he apparently pitched a show called Gotham that was supposed to be basically Smallville, but for <laughs> Bruce Wayne. And the studio was like, eh, let's do that with Superman. And so I don't know how closely involved he was, but it said apparently he just gets royalties for every single episode of Smallville. So well, good for him. <laughs> he probably got that set up and was like, well, I'm set. <laughs> so yeah, here's, um, that's
1: so true that much. Must- definitely that's why he
0: doesn't have a whole lot of credits but he also uh, the only other notable thing i saw that i know is secondhand lions you know that movie oh that's on our list man yeah it is i i that was not a huge one for me but uh i did enjoy it, it was a
1: big one for me i my dad really likes everyone in that movie and it's one of those movies where it's like these guys are getting old and that's what the movie's kind of about is two old guys yeah, and my dad likes both of these guys in their prime, and now the old. <laughs> and he's taking his son to see it. And he's yeah. like, "These were guys when I was your age. Were they guys. were in their prime, you know. <laughs> you know what Now I mean? they're
0: gonna be guys to you, whether you like it or not." <laughs> <laughs> and it's it worked. It it worked. Yeah. Um, I think the writing and direction
1: of this movie is like,
0: just what makes it's, it stand out so it's much.
1: Flawless. I, you hear a lot uh this; it's thrown around a lot, and I agree with it that mm-hmm. Back to the Future is a screenplay you can teach in schools for being just flawless, like sure. from beginning to end, everything has a point. <laughs> Even the everything part where is he like, wants the fuck his mom. <laughs> See, I I don't mean like flawless right, as yeah. far as taste goes, <laughs> yeah, or as far you. as because I also think that <laughs> hey. It's your cousin Marvin Barry. Listen to rock music. <laughs> yeah. This is this is music now, Chuck Berry. Listen to this guy do it. Yikes. I don't like that. Yep. But as far as uh, structure goes, people mm-hmm. often uh, talk about that, and I think that this is another example of that. But it fits my tastes as as we're right now realizing mm-hmm. even more. Mm-hmm. It's just like a. It feels like that tight classic like spielbergian style yeah. of a movie yeah but it's it's just as emotional too as like a fucking i don't even know like a, a hard-hitting drama and it's yeah. an animated movie for kids right and It's i don't know as far as like being able to mesh that in the writing mm-hmm. perfect as far as being uh able to do something unique with the direction of an animated movie. Yeah. Aged like a fine wine. Oh my God. And I'm not gonna ever. talk about the animation specifically because I'm sure we'll get to that. Oh, but as far as the directing, I'm talking like uh there's a moment when um Hogarth is standing outside of Dean who we talked about owning the scrapyards, mm-hmm. uh Shaq. And he's begging him to let the iron giant staying there. Right. And Dean just shuts the door and he's like, I'm not going to do, you know, not happening. And yeah. the camera cuts and it's black. And then just 37 minutes later yes. appear on the screen. <laughs> yes. And then it cuts back again. And he's still out there. <laughs> right. And that is just like, you're in, in animation. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Having them do something that you would see in like a, right. Know, a Scorsese movie or a, you know, totally. just like a movie mm-hmm. makes it, Ah, the first shot, since we're talking about directing and I'm yeah, on man. a roll here, the first shot honestly took my breath away. I was yeah. like, is this animated? Like the the stars in the galaxy scene, right. like the space scene. Yeah. And then as the meteor flies up and kind of you realize what the animation style is. Mm-hmm. And then also just think about how how much you learn about just what's about to be taking place in the matter of seconds. We've got one satellite. Right. There's only one and mm-hmm. it's Russian. And this movie takes place in 1957 yep. when that's way like very, scene. very apparent. Yep. And then a meteor flies onto the earth. We already now know like, okay, something not of this earth is about to create way more pressure In an already pressurized situation. Right, yeah. We learn that in the first like five seconds of this film. (laughs) Like it's pretty. As an adult watching it. As a kid, it's cool. It's just like, that's fucking dope. You know, like (laughs) meteor flying from (laughs) space. You know?
0: Yeah.
1: They the the way they
0: set everything up in the first five minutes of this movie is It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. The the amount that I root for Hogarth Hughes right away is like astounding to me and i that's not something i could have recognized as a kid but definitely something i experienced
1: as a kid you immediately are like i am watching this this as i love this kid i I recognized how much i experienced as a kid yes oh that is such a good feeling to to just like remember being like oh i want to be like that yeah you know yeah oh
0: um May I, I, I'm i just thinking of it now, so maybe there would be a better point in the flow of conversation to bring it up, but I'm going to do it now. Since we are on the topic of sort of the writing uh, of this movie, there's one thing that I noticed that made me go, meh, which is just the amount of time that uh, Hogarth spends one-on-one with other like adult men. Like, the mom is just, at one point... Kent, this agent, starts staying with them at their house because they have a room for rent, which, ooh, uh, when I'm done with this point, let's talk about Hogarth's dad because I never picked up any of that uh, the when, when I was a kid. But, um, Me too. There's a room for rent, and so Kent starts staying with them, and his mother, at one point, is like, go take Kent into town and show him the sights and stuff, and just letting an like,
1: 11-, 12-year-old boy just... like." I mean, it's I will the 50s, say, I think in, but, uh, that's it yeah. right there. It's 1957, which Brad Bird was born in 1957. Sure. And I like to think that a lot of Hogarth's experiences um, that aren't otherworldly or sci-fi in this mm-hmm. movie are young Brad Bird. You know what I mean? I yeah. remember uh, my dad telling me stories as a kid in like the early 60s you literally would just leave your front door open and people would just like come over and it'd be like a neighbor walking in and having a glass of your milk because they're out you know things like that
0: especially in a small town like this yeah
1: i also am one to to not let uh the romanticized views of you know uh an older generation sway my opinions of like okay We didn't have internet back then, so you probably didn't know about how many people were kidnapped, so it definitely seemed safer, even though was it? I don't know. Yeah. Uh but it felt to me in this movie like a very, very the times thing. Especially that moment with Kent. When she's like, just take him out like I was like, no mom post nineteen (laughs) eighty would ever, ever, ever even work late without a babysitter at home. Right. Like she comes home um from a late shift by the way i don't think it's been mentioned yet if uh oh yeah if you didn't watch the movie yet and you're trying to use this as a brush up and as a podcast it's totally fine the mom is the uh waitress and it seems like also the cashier she's right the person she at, runs like the, the local diner <laughs> yeah yeah so her late shifts as to restaurant employees here mm-hmm. talking to you, you know are past midnight so yeah. when she gets home um, From one late from, shift like, and a sees Hogarth. You know, she was probably yeah.
0: there from like 8 a.m. to midnight, which is oh, ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. So, you know, like the devotion or whatever. But at the same time, she comes home and just sees like all the junk food on the floor and is like, Hogarth. And to me, it's just like yeah. another example of like, it's just like a different. I don't know. It feels just more. uh Looking at looking at childhood through rose colored glasses, you know? Yeah. Like right. maybe this isn't necessarily how it went down, but this is like that image of like the fifties or whatever, like yeah. the kid eating what he wants and like going out and like yeah. And uh, I think
0: also uh Just to finish up the point of he spends so much time with, you know, one-on-one with other adults that are without telling his mother or anybody, like, including Dean. Like, he spends a lot of time hanging out with this, like, hippie beatnik (laughs) sculpture artist in his scrapyard without his mother knowing where he is or what he's doing. Um, But I think it also... A is like of the times and B is sort of a kid fantasy. you know what I mean? it it feels. Yeah. I remember thinking how cool it was that he had this kind of whatever I've got a soul patch and I drink coffee and Dude, whatever. and like just same. going over to hang out with him like that that was so cool as a kid and like Absolutely really enjoyable. Same.
1: Um, I think if this movie took place in 1985, it could still work, but would need a line from Dean being like, Yo, did you like ask your mom to come here? Right. It's kind of weird, man. Right. But that line isn't in this movie, which yeah. is something to point out. I, for some people, that might be like, Yikes, you know? Yeah. Yikes. It's a kid, a 12 year old boy hanging out with two. Adult men who the mom doesn't know at the point he's hanging out with them. Right. She gets to yes. know Dean throughout the movie mm. and never gets to know Kent, obviously, or else she would never let her <laughs> yeah. son spend any alone God. time with him. Uh, But I I do feel like it's a movie thing. It's a of the times thing. And those two combined really work for me. But I could see why it wouldn't work for others. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you pointed it out.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Kent's dad for a second because the way they string this through without Wait, ever being Hogarth's like, dad. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Hogarth's Kent's dad. Kent's dad is
1: probably a character that we could dive into <laughs> too because I'm sure there's something to talk about there because he's a bastard. Dad is probably Kent's an asshole. Yeah. There's something uh, going on. Anyway, Hogarth's dad. Yeah. Uh, without ever having
0: a scene where Hogarth says like yeah my dad whatever or his mother says
1: like you know since your dad whatever there's not a single moment like that tell me right now Calvin as a movie watcher who gives movies good graces as I do Mm -hmm. like you'll watch a bad movie and knowing you have to finish it like you're in a group setting or something or Uh you're reviewing it or whatever you'll Uh be like I'm gonna give this a good shot yeah do you still a tiny bit no matter what, get uh, just a little bit taken out whenever there's a line like that in a movie.
0: Yes. Oh, a hundred percent.
1: Absolutely. And I, we wrote a short film together with. A, oh yeah, we did, a relationship like we that. We did that and aspect really well. I think. I think so too. And yet, I'm jealous of this movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It. This is. I think we did it similarly, you know, we, yeah, we did what we you did our version it. of it, yeah, but God, I love that this movie never takes me out, but you it's know, I'm never so taken out, clear. okay, that's it's very clear, especially with what they decide to talk about, yes, you know what I mean? This isn't a long movie, so when there's a five minute conversation about, um, I'll just uh, yeah, preface it by saying. There is a a moment where Hogarth and the Iron Giant are just like basically watching the stars yep. after experiencing. Uh, do I have to backpedal even more to talk about what they experience? You think or the is this Iron Giant? That, like, the Iron Giant sees a deer
0: as he's trying to make contact with it. Hunters shoot the deer, and so the Iron Giant sees death for the first time. And so this and later it, scene.
1: They're talking. Yeah, about it. it shocks the Iron Giant yeah. in a way that that oh, that that's another directing aspect. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll say that real quick first. The way that we're able to see the Iron Giant's emotions without him having movable, like he doesn't right. have like a brow that is like, oh, I can scrunch it's up the my face. Tilt of the angle it's, of his eyes. That's it. It's like Wally, kind of. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, very Wally. Definitely took notes from the Iron Giant. That's what I'll say. Well, that's Brad but Bird anyway, too, isn't it? No, sorry. It very well could be because he's made all the he made the Incredibles, which is the best Pixar movie. So I wouldn't be surprised if you made the second best one too. It's not Brad anyway,
0: Bird. Anyway, uh, Andrew. Stanley. Not Brad
1: Bird. Anyway, And the podcast. Oops.
0: Oh God! Oh, I said all right, false so, information. <laughs> I'm sorry to make you hanging on the community this large. Long.
1: for uh okay so the scene has been set yes brad or hogarth and brad that's what i'll call the iron giant because it's just brad bird (laughs) no uh so hogarth and the iron giant are are talking about this moment that they just experience and hogarth basically tells the iron giant what what it means okay this is what he says he says it's okay to die it's not okay to kill. Yes. And uh the Iron Giant just says die and like points to Hogarth and he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to die one day. Like it 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 happens. It's oh. part of life." And then the Iron Giant points to himself and Hogarth's like, "I don't know. Yeah. Um but I mean, you feel things and you think things, so that must mean you have a soul." And Mom says that souls live forever. that's all the good things inside of a person I'm getting goosebumps and you all just over my immediately just understand that why would his mom have that conversation with him? You yeah. know what i mean yeah. that's that's all you need to know is that this is a boy who has needed comfort in recollecting or in uh experiencing death, about, yeah reminiscing about a past father person that he loved and knowing that his father isn't around and knowing that that's what his wisdom is why it just all makes sense and they don't it's both extremely hard hitting and extremely like just like i don't know there was something i felt that i've never felt in a movie before where i was like this kid is like prepared you know what i mean like i felt this feeling of like this kid while he grieves and while he's got obviously issues and like his ha- home life isn't perfect he wishes his mom was around more but like he's so wise yeah. like being able to understand and just cope with that in that way right that may have been something that stuck with me as a kid and you know when my first grandparent passed maybe th- this movie yeah was one of the big reasons i was able to be more th- more comfortable than otherwise yeah i don't know
0: uh to get uh deep on it for a second before i <laughs> zoom back out like you know i've had a long uh, uh, relationship with my thoughts and relationship to death and the imminence of it and everything. <laughs> Sorry, everyone who's just casually <laughs> listening. But this movie was 100% one of the first things that made me feel like I could talk about it or think about it or intake, you know, notions about that in a healthy way, you know? And that's a, an extremely beautiful thing. It also, m- like, I did not realize how how. How complicated of feelings it would bring up in me when I was watching this movie. Because I remember watching it as a kid and loving, loving it. it but also, it's a good kid's movie. Bringing you know? up some, like, you know, uncomfortable things. It talks about death straight out, you know? Like watching the Iron Giant poke this dead deer and have to be told, yes. like, no, don't do
1: that. And, like, think. I, like It's such oof, a weird. Oof. How is that. It. This podcast has made for such an interesting psychological experiment, basically, (laughs) because I am experiencing that moment specifically of Hogarth being like, don't do that. You don't do that. And as an adult, being like, wow, this kid is like, there's something deep and wise about this kid. And this moment is so big and so like holy shit yeah but i also am feeling extreme levels of nostalgia that are weird yeah what was i experiencing when i was six watching this movie (laughs) and i can't tell you for sure because i was six
0: yeah and
1: honestly thank god for this movie because like how many i that's why i said like this might be the best movie i've ever watched because It it made me remember that this was the best movie I watched growing (laughs) up, right? While also being the best movie I'm watching now, yeah. And those things like combined and created this like super force of nostalgic happiness, and I don't even know. And ah, beautifully, genuinely, absolutely, it's a new, just like Avatar: The Last Airbender. Mm -hmm. This is newly added to my perfect comfort stuff yeah list yeah you know? i'm so glad we watched this so now i will just probably re-watch this all the fucking time
0: i want to rephrase one more thing just to get down to like more details as to why this is so good and continue breaking it down the way that they show you about his father is exactly the way he's talking about how a soul lives on You don't get any explicit context at all about the father. You just see the ways he's still around in the ways that the experience of losing him has affected Hogarth in the bomber jacket that he's still got around that Hogarth (sighs) puts on and runs into the the forest with the way that he puts on the helmet that's still around at multiple times in the movie for comfort and for, you know, to feel prepared it's it's perfectly laid out it's on and the pictures I, there's a couple scenes with just like a picture of him in the background and it's one and,
1: and but they're not i don't mind it when it's done well but it does still a little bit make me go okay so there's something up with that guy yeah. when a camera pans across like a bedside table right and we see like a picture of a couple mm-hmm. and then it pans to the bed and only one member of the couple's laying there. Right. Or etc. Mm-hmm. This movie didn't do it like that. Mm-hmm. It was literally like mid conversation. If you're paying attention. Right. You'd notice like, Hey, there's a picture and a man is in that picture and there is no man in their lives. What's up with that? Yeah. But it's not even something that you would go, what's up with that? It's just like, it's just a picture in the background. And now while we're talking about it, we are able to deduce, you know, Oh, right. That's right. what's going on. It's and that's directing right there because uh, something I also um, n- like took in when I was looking at some IMDb trivia. Mm-hmm. Yet again, admitting. <laughs> yeah, it's IMDb. it's okay yeah. people oh, yeah i know Come that on. anyone can write any trivia in there but they do have to get verified <laughs> yeah. i've done a couple pieces of trivia really? that i found in movies before oh, yeah i've cool. got a cool one in imdb with a ton of thumbs ups but who who knows that i wrote that no one so it doesn't matter <laughs> anyway isn't that funny like that who is knows? funny <laughs> but uh um uh brad bird as a director it's different when you're directing an animated film than when you're directing uh live action there are so many ways you can direct both but mm. specifically with animation like you better hope that your director is storyboarding a lot of stuff yeah and can animate brad bird animated like a couple of scenes that are in the movie yeah but he storyboarded everything and All of the choices that are made from an animation point of view, like, oh, that picture was just, like, in the background. It's not a shot of it going over. I do not think those are a second person, like an editor, who was like, this is a little cheesy-schmeasy. Let's break it down to this. That's Brad Bird from beginning to end storyboarding for this to happen. Hmm. And also with animated films, not a lot of people know this, but you can't make a four-hour movie and cut it. <laughs> right. Because that's a lot of fucking work. Usually yeah. you build up to the movie. Right. You don't Expand come from some something out. and, and yeah. cut down. Um, and I think that's actually a really good point for me to just take one minute and talk about the two versions of this movie that oh, probably yeah, that's right. you were... everyone listening right now doesn't know about. Yeah. Because I didn't know about it. I didn't. Calvin didn't know about it when I told him about it. There is uh, alter- an alternate version of this movie um, called the Signature Edition. I called it the Special Edition to you earlier, Calvin, but it's called the Signature Edition, okay. which I like because the reason it's called that is because the, the only differences were that two added scenes... Overseen by Brad Bird, were animated for the theatrical release of this signature edition, yeah and they were literally scenes he had storyboarded, but they just didn't have time to finish. Wow! Or Warner Brothers said no. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, what is were they? Very Tell basic. Me. Give it to it, me. Yes, so I'm gonna give you here basically one thing was just changed you know the scene where hogarth is at dinner with his mom and the iron giant's hand (laughs) is trying to put itself bring itself back to the iron giant yeah there's a moment in that scene where the hand crawls into the tv room yeah and the tv is playing i think in the original version a commercial for like a cereal yeah in the uh signature edition it's very small but it's just an ad for Tomorrowland, which is oh. a Disney property, and Brad Bird was wanting to give thanks and nods to Disney for being his uh, origins, basically. Yeah, what wow. What inspired him to? And the coolest thing about that is the the signature edition was theatrically released the same year that Brad Bird's Tomorrowland was released.
0: <laughs> That's so fucking so it cool. Came full That's circle. very cool.
1: And. And a fun fact about Tomorrowland is it was Brad Bird made a fuck ton of money after making a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. And they were like, okay, you can do whatever you want. And he was like, really? And they're like, yeah, you're Brad Bird. Why couldn't you? So he just made Tomorrowland. He like wrote the script, made the movie. It doesn't have great reviews, but it's very Brad Bird. Yeah. Definitely check it out if you haven't. The other one is there is a moment where Dean is hanging out and watching TV and the iron giant is going to sleep. And mm-hmm. while the iron giant is sleeping, he has dreams. Does this sound anything like you something you saw in in the original cut? I don't think or... so no, no So not this is bell. just a straight up added scene. And honestly, I think it adds to the movie. I think it you might be like, I don't think that's necessary. And I would agree that it's not necessary, but it's here it is. yeah, basically, the iron giant falls asleep. And we see that he dreams. And in his dream, it's a nightmare of a planet being taken over by like a hundred of him. Whoa. We see a bunch of iron giants marching in like a line. And then like, it's like this really, really stylized camera movements, like shaky. And like this planet is being taken over. And then like a... And then all of a sudden it cuts to Dean watching TV and his TV gets staticky and shifts to the dream. And Dean can see this. So Dean like leans forward in his chair just as he's seeing a planet like explode and the Iron Giant outside bursts awake and goes, no. And then like, (sighs) and then like falls back asleep. And Dean like looks outside and like looks at his TV it just, like, has this look of, like, what the fuck just happened? And that's the scene.
0: I'm blown away. I'm blown away. I mean, like, one of the things that I think is astounding about this movie is how little we actually find out about the origins of the Iron Giant and how fucking little that matters. You know what I mean? Exactly. So I love that, but also it's just, like, maybe makes, it, makes the entire
1: thing a slightly different movie, you know? It does man, it does. Especially because the moment that his uh weapon system is revealed fully is in uh is like late towards yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah. And this scene happens like I mean it's a short movie cuz it's an animated film, right. but it happens before that. So you're given a little bit of like, wait, is there something up with this guy? I think there's maybe a moment in uh, doesn't his eyes turn red early in the movie at another point, too, though? That just make yes. you know a little bit, like, okay, yeah. there might be something. But this is, like, straight up showing you see him in that final form we see him in at right. the end of the movie. Wow. You don't see what he's capable of, but yeah. you're like, wait, what's that, you know? It's really cool, and it was a really, really cool, like, as far as directing goes, like... With Dean watching TV, seeing the dream, and then out the window we can see the Iron Giant sleeping and waking up, and Dean seeing—it's like really cool. Um, And like I said, I think it adds like a feeling of like, like it makes that feeling of oh shit. Even more so yeah. when it when it comes down to it, because you're like, right, this is a planet destroyer, yeah, right? You know, not just Damn. a war machine, a planet destroyer. You know what I mean? Oh, um, man. But at the same time, I could see, especially having just watched the original version that you watched, you going, yeah, but like it's so tight, it's so perfect. It is is yeah. that necessary? I think it's almost a Lord of the Rings extended edition kind of thing where you just get well, a little bit more.
0: That's that's wrong, though, because the extended editions are the only way to watch. And I think this is a uh, decide which way you want to watch. <laughs> um, but I, I love that I, opinion. I love it because I, I agree with it. But I, uh, should... I
1: know some people don't. Let's move uh, on. Yeah, I think we should move on.
0: <laughs> we, uh, there's just a couple points in the production that I'd like to talk about. I don't know if you have more. And then we got to talk about some of these actors because there's some interesting things to touch on. Uh, but let's talk about the animation for a second. Uh, I'll just yes, please. get this out of the way at the top. Um, Steve Wiltzbach is the uh, cinematographer and, I believe, lead uh, animation head on this, and he... Was also the scene planning department head for Quest for Camelot, which we said earlier. So I'm sure Warner Bros. just like slapped him onto this one as well. (laughs) He also was a scene planner for Space Jam and a movie we've covered on this podcast, Osmosis Jones. Oh wow! Uh, Hey, guy, uh, nice to see you again. There's obviously a ton, you know, a whole crew of people who are are uh. Who worked on the animation of this movie but I thought I would get his name out there and then we can talk about some of the anime I love the style on this and I know Brad Bird was involved too because I had a moment in the middle of the movie where I think it was Kent was talking to someone something about the shape of his face and the way it moved I was like this reminds me of something I think of like a 3D anime that's this looks like the Incredibles
1: but 2D and then I was like
0: Robert.
1: I think Kent. Yeah, like the way his mouth his is big like forward. And the mouth Yeah.
0: You know, the shapes yep. of totally, their head. Man. And even um uh, e- even his mother, Annie, uh, the shape of her head is you know, could be kind of Mrs. Incredible. Uh so true. So uh yeah, but the I think the they have the right amount of 2d like illustration and cgi melding here yeah it never i didn't i was really worried it would be was really taken
1: weird. out by any cgi yeah me too um like we were with uh what what did we watch that had like some moments of cgi that were like ooh yikes oh sinbad uh that was sinbad sinbad yeah had some that very this bad. felt way not like that yeah you know what i mean yes, and I this do. is a this is a more aged look too than yeah. sinbad sinbad has like a fresher look with the 2d drawn stuff right but this oh my gosh there's something like to me this reminded me of if you've ever seen a film on film mm. like with the film grain <laughs> yeah. with the actual like shifting like it right. moves like yes. when the credits are rolling it's not just a steady thing it's like yeah oh cool right it, there's something about it and uh the thing that stuck out to me the most and throughout the movie with that in mind and the uh, cgi versus animation mm-hmm. was the lighting
0: yes ooh yes. the lighting
1: from the beginning to the end oh my god the lens flares the like use of like silhouette the use of like yeah. colors yes. the sunset scenes there's so many that's bold to just have a scene with, like, the most rich colors possible. Right? Usually you wouldn't, you know, I don't know, go that route so often. Also,
0: the planning for, like, panning shots and changing perspectives, which, I mean, I I used to draw a bunch as a kid, uh, so I don't have, a, you know. A bunch of experience, but I used to draw a lot and trying to draw things from different perspectives is really hard, let alone making them move fluidly like a panning shot around someone. There's like five different like astounding moments to me of the illustration showing a panning shot where it's like circles Hogarth's head as Kent is interrogating yeah. him in a dark room or one of the first shots we see him where he's biking down the lane and we see him from afar and then he Dude. passes close to us and then down the hill and the way that it so moment, smoothly
1: moves is astounding. Honestly, that bike moment, I think, was what integrated me into the style. Yeah, absolutely. like Because the first moment of the movie is almost its own style because yeah. there's a lot more detail and lighting and i think there's cgi in that that uh meteor crash scene i think so yeah. i don't even know it's just it almost feels like i don't know like cgi like it's just so detailed right and then once we get to this town they have that i forget what it's called when you have a something establishing is shot? it a plate or oh no like when in in animation when you have like this is a thing oh, that a doesn't card? move and, a card. Or, so like yeah. you could kind of tell that like when he was riding through the town, some of the like the town was just uh, there. I see what you're saying, yeah. And they animated him yep. biking. Yeah. And that is like a stylistic thing. And as soon as he bikes onto the foreground of the shot, like he's mm-hmm. he's away, he gets on. Now he is the shot. Mm-hmm. You're integrated. And from that moment yep. to through, I was like very, very not noticing any animation quirks yeah because it's easy to uh not like get your audience just like into it like the Irishman does that too where they have enough like establishing scenes with the Robert De Niro weird de-aging thing to just erase those quirks from your mind so by the end of the movie you're like oh yeah like yeah. half of that was like right. not even that amazing cgi but i I bought it and i forgot about it yeah this movie does that too Where like they do it they integrate you they don't yeah. just throw it in your face i don't know this, that's brad bird oh. he just knows how to how to direct you into the flow of his animation and his style
0: is so satisfying in so many ways i mean like oh okay. yes uh also, uh, I said I was. I said I was gonna do it. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna call my girlfriend out, which is probably a dicky fucking thing to do. But she said, uh, as we were talking about it afterwards, she was like, "Yeah, that was a really good movie. I wish it was animated a little bit better." And I was like, "Are you joking me?" um because I loved the animation of this movie so much I I get I think what she was absorbing possibly I'm not going to speak for her completely but like I suspect it was that sort of older like film grainy feel because she was like what this was 1999 yeah I don't know that should have looked better but I think that's part of it you know and it's makes it feel like more of a 50s story and as far as the actual like style of the characters just the way they move their faces and the way their mouths move and talk and the the planning of how they move their eyebrows and their eyes and where they look and how they do all that there's one scene in particular for some reason one moment that i just i Internally, I didn't even write a physical note. I just, in my head, was like, I know I'm going to talk about that. When Hogarth first hears something going on on his roof, and so he jumps out of the window onto a tree to, like, jump up, climb up onto his roof, the way he, like, jumps from his window and he grabs onto it with his chest and his legs, like, swing one at a time once and then back and then he's up, it's just so smooth and just like... You know, like... It just, Dude, yes. As a kid, I remember just
1: you want to know the one that was like that? My, what's that? As a kid, I remember what do you got? Him gearing up when he yeah. like helmet, yep. jacket. He gets the the thing that always got me though. That I was always like, for some reason, hmm. that's the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, him just taping a flashlight yeah. to his BB gun. Totally. Just, yes, it's like something. It felt like a Edgar Wright moment. Yeah, pre Edgar Wright. I get that. I totally get. Did that. Did Edgar yeah. Wright even have a movie out yet? No. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it's. I guess that's more copying, not copying, but more homage to like maybe John Woo, sure. or something, because that's who Edgar Wright I think is trying to em- hmm. uh, emulate. Hmm. But I'm not a. I'm not the film school guy. I just sure. like movies. So <laughs> I. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? God, is that satisfying? And yeah. then every single time he does something, you're like. Ooh, that's as a kid, you're like, that's that kid's so cool. Yep. And Dean, the way they animate Dean, Dean's yes. like eyebrows, like yeah. looking over sunglasses. Uh, or, yeah. Totally. Just uh, right, like, here's a cup of coffee in my hand. And the moment that I needed to talk about mm-hmm. and it will likely oh, come yeah. back again yeah. by the end of the episode because mm. it is so funny. <laughs> uh okay. So to establish the moment uh many will remember it as soon as i say the word cannonball mm-hmm. but there is a scene where uh hogarth and dean and the iron giant decide to lay low at the lake because it's a great spot by the way th- before i go on everything mm-hmm. that happens in this movie is explained and has a sensible explanation yep. like i was saying in the beginning there's one russian satellite and That is, like, referred to by Kent, and that's why Kent is so fucking nuts. Right. Because he's so scared of the Russians. Yeah. Anyway, beyond that, so they're going to the lake to lay low, but it creates a really beautiful bonding scene of them just hanging out at a lake, which is, like, as a kid, I remembered it as just them swimming. And as an adult, I'm like, oh, they're laying low to hide from the fucking government. That's so – it's so different. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Hogarth jumps up onto a cliff and dives off and does a big old cannonball. And it's great. But as a kid, you know, you always wanted to do that. And then the thing that makes you even more so like, oh, okay. (laughs) We just hear. (laughs) Because the Iron Giant at that point had walked away and we're like, all right, well, he's just not joining for the fun. And he jumps and does a huge cannonball. This moment, from the moment the Iron Giant touches the water, is like a, uh, like, if if my life had a DVD menu screen, (laughs) this moment would be one of, like, the moments shown on that screen. Just fucking Dean being, like, looking up, seeing what's about to happen. Huge wave coming. Dean just deciding... Oh god yep. and holding on to his chair <laughs> yeah. like he just doesn't he doesn't run he's just like here we oh go i god. guess and then showing just a huge thing of water going across the screen where the road is. We see a couple fish and then we see a raccoon trying yeah, to swim. Yeah. It's so vivid in my memory. Probably the same raccoon in The Incredibles 2. Holy oh, shit. Definitely the same style. Hey, yeah. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> the raccoon swimming and then we just see Dean, still on the chair, <laughs> like swish onto the screen, do like yep. a little flip. And then land on the feet of the chair, and then all the water goes down, and the oh, car man. comes up. Mister, you know you're in the middle of the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. I genuinely oh, think that's like, I laughed, tears were in my eyes last night, because it was a, both a mix of genuinely great, great yeah. humor, Yeah, and so fucking nostalgic
0: so like for some reason this moment in particular sticks out so hard as soon as i saw the scene established and him in the him in the chair and hogarth in like a swimsuit I started like chuckling to myself, not because I right? knew it was funny and not because it was funny actively in the moment, but because I was like, Oh, I remember this in such yeah, a it vivid like, way. It like a tickled physical tickled something reaction inside of your soul. Yeah. It's so great. Oh, I think that's a, a perfect way to uh, summarize how satisfying the animation is and move on to one last production thing before we talk about the actors. Yeah. Is that cool with you? Absolutely. Uh I want to talk about the music just real quick because it doesn't really stand out so much, but it adds so much to the feeling of this movie. This movie takes place you know in the northeast in fall into like the first big snow and like is very thanksgiving vibes which i didn't even quite recognize until i saw in the uh trivia i forget if this was on i am i think this was on a different website as i was looking around at this but it was played almost every single year on cartoon network around thanksgiving time and it feels like a perfect movie for that time both from the just sort of general vibes of the movie but the story and like the season as well but i feel like for some reason The music of this movie sounds so Christmas movie, but not Christmas movie, Thanksgiving movie.
1: You know what I mean? It sounds like a holiday, like holiday tunes. And for me, I didn't notice how impactful the music was until the movie was over. Yeah, right. There's a musical moment for the end cap of the movie as you described this beautiful, like, all the pieces of the Iron Giant making their way to its head. And then the eyes open up and we get this orchestral, like, major chord. (laughs) And it's just like, I don't know, it feels like a classic movie. Like, E.T. has the same thing where the end of the movie is just fucking music. And it's just it makes you cry because it's just so good yeah and yeah this this did that for me where i was like oh
0: god the music too the music got me too right you know the music uh just to make sure i give some credit was composed by michael Kamen. common k-a-m-e-n so uh yeah michael come <laughs> he also did uh robin hood x-men lethal weapon he's done a
1: bunch wait robin hood the animated one uh no robin hood like prince when... of the
0: prince of thieves
1: oh the kevin one with costner. uh kevin costner
0: <laughs> that's pretty funny um yeah it's a funny one
1: i think he's supposed to have an accent and doesn't in that or something like that i can't remember <laughs> kevin costner just cracks me up i don't even know why just me too. i see his face i'm so and I'm glad like, that you <laughs> agree there's something about kevin costner being serious that i'm yeah. like Like, that's why I love Man of Steel because it just cracks me up when Kevin Costner's like, You can't show anyone your powers. Right. You know, and you're just like, It's Kevin Costner. Costner. He's playing Clark Kent's dad. Come on. All right. Speaking of actors, let's get
0: into the ones in this movie because, oh man, some performances. Uh, Okay. Should we go side characters and then main people or main people then side? I think so. Side characters then main. Okay. So, I just want to point out a couple people. Firstly, uh, Cloris Leachman, who is a very, very prolific voice actor that we've talked about before on this show. Because she is, you will recognize, y- you will remember her face. She was the nurse in Sky High. And you know how, you you remember how <laughs> you saw her face, uh, or heard her voice in that movie, and you were like, and I, was like I know that voice. Where is she
1: from? Yep. This is it. This is
0: one of them. She's uh, Mrs. Tensage. Tensage. Uh, Mrs. Tensage. I forget exactly who that is, but she plays one of the people in the town. And then there's another one, another actor, M. Emmett Walsh, who we talked about in Snow Dogs, who has the very distinctive voice, has done a lot of stuff on SpongeBob. Uh, Another Dude's
1: just like let's let's just put it this way when you hit filmography on IMDb as an actor he has 228 <laughs> credits yeah. yeah that's all you need to know
0: um and i think this is so cool cuz now we've we've talked about four three or four people this episode now who were involved with things we've previously talked about and i think that's another really cool thing about this podcast that we're doing is because a lot of the stuff we're talking about came out around the same time and we're probably going to have crossover and realize links that we didn't know were there before, you know? So I think that's super cool. Yeah, the cool. film
1: industry's that's one of the cool things about such a fucked up industry <laughs> yeah. is that it's a industry of, like, knowing people and friendships and, like, while, especially in the time we're talking about, which I do want to point out. That's mostly straight white men. Yeah. Yeah. It still is cool when you're like, oh, my God, we talked about that guy for snow dogs. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's just cool. It's
0: cool to recognize people that you did not w- would not necessarily immediately recognize their face. Don't know their name at all, but made my childhood entertainment. You know? Yeah. That is fucking exactly. cool. Cloris Leachman and Emmett, M. Emmett Walsh are two of those people. So uh, thank you to both of you, um, and that's sort of the main people on the sidelines that I wanted to talk about. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, who sh- who should we talk about first? Who should we talk about first here?
1: Let's talk about let's talk about mom.
0: Talk about mom. Let's
1: talk about mom.
0: I think you'll recognize so, the name of this actor. <laughs>
1: I think, and I think you'll be surprised if you watched the movie and then didn't look at the credits because it's such a good performance yeah. that you go oh. Duh, (laughs) when you hear this. It's Jennifer Aniston. Like, yeah, I had no idea. Like, come on. yeah. I had the whole movie I'm watching it, and I'm like, this is Hogarth's mom. You know what I mean? Right. And then (laughs) when I looked this up and saw it, I was like, oh, (laughs) "Oh, that was Jennifer Aniston the whole time. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. She gives a good performance. I mean, honestly, it's really good. I didn't even really fully include uh, his mother in the recap because she doesn't play a huge role in this movie. The role she does play is important. And I think the performance that Jennifer gives not gives is, is yeah. significant, but not huge. I, I commend her for making this a memorable role when it could very easily have just been like Hogarth's mom. You know what I mean? Exactly. But it does feel very distinct. Uh Harry Connick Jr. plays Dean Dean McCoppin, the the y- you know, Dean. Um and that is a name I've heard a lot and don't really know this guy
1: <laughs> very much. I think he's a singer, right? Oh, uh maybe I, I'm super wrong, but I don't my know. grandma on my dad's side loves Harry Connick Jr. And I feel like she loved performers. You know what I mean? I don't sure. know. I, I might be super wrong. Here's his IMDB. Uh, so he was encouraged to play piano at age three with a jazz band. He was in a jazz band at age 10. He uh. won piano competitions while playing French quarter clubs. So yeah, at 18, he studied at New York's Hunter College and later on at the Manhattan School of Music. At 19, he released his first album big music okay, guy Okay, that makes he sense why i've heard his name the more. score and sang several songs for when harry met sally
0: oh wow okay gotcha harry that's Connick what he Junior. went multi-platinum musician for. so far multi-platinum yeah man.
1: he he's a guy who's b- brought back swing and big band music so he's probably the reason why michael buble is a thing <laughs> wow is what it sounds like damn
0: yeah okay that is makes that a sense take? that makes more sense
1: <laughs> i love him as this character i mean like dude dean so... is one of my favorite animated characters ever putting a soul patch on an animated yes. character yes best move you can make oh man. didn't osmosis jones have a soul patch just saying <laughs> at some point in the movie yeah, i think he some gives point, himself yeah. one at least <laughs> yeah
0: yeah uh yeah harry connick jr play has a Kind of understated performance, you know what I mean? Like he, I, He's kind of yeah, just like talking like
1: a guy, you know? But it works so well for this part. And it's an important role uh, as far as, like, being a father figure to someone. He's not that. He's not, like, the, I'm going to take up the position of masculinity for you. Sure, This yeah, guy yeah. is an artist. He's a sculptor. Right. He, even one of his first lines to Hogarth when they're alone together is... Uh, I don't know if I'm sculpting I'm a sculptor who sells junk or if I'm a junk trader who sculpts it you know yeah, like right. which, or an artist who you know yeah right right the and the lessons he teaches Hogarth are important like yeah. they go through some shit together and like. He's got an arc in
0: this movie, too, because he kind of goes from just being a guy who's hanging out to, like, really actively caring about this kid and seeking him. Like, driving the motorcycle out to, like, when he gets on the motorcycle when Hogarth goes to the town to try and save the Iron Giant. Like,
1: oh, my God. What is the line? There's a line that Hogarth uses to the Iron Giant. So basically, what I'm referring to is in the beginning of our introduction to Hogarth and Dean. They're in the restaurant, and Dean speaks up and is like, "Yeah, I saw it too." When when right. the the older guy that the fisherman, the fisherman is, is talking, talking about what, about he, what he, saw. he saw, and Hogarth is like, "What did you see?" And he's like, "I didn't. That's you just right. should always stick up for the kooks because, yeah. um, like why you know no one else is listening to him." Yeah, and then he says something. Who care? Who cares what these creeps think of you? They don't make you what you
0: are, you do. You are who you choose to be. That's the line and that's what Hogarth says. Like the cum- the culmination of the whole movie is basically Hogarth saying that to the Iron Giant.
1: Thank you. I yeah, and that's something that went over would have definitely gone over my head as a kid and now that like I was able to be like not only is that great, that is a connected dot. That's yeah, so fucking right. good. It does. That's the... what I mean about this script being just flawless. Yeah. It's just like so many connected dots that don't feel like dumb payoffs. They feel like earned payoffs. I think
0: th- this is a perfect excuse to uh, talk about the Iron Giant because Vin Diesel. I, I
1: had, know. I I had no idea. I had so- no idea. This is what got Vin Diesel Groot for sure. Oh, without a doubt. A hundred percent. I didn't realize it, but this is it for sure. Yeah. Like when Groot was a thing and everyone was like, wait, Vin Diesel? That was a thing. Right. We were all like, what? what? And then it worked out. And we we're all like, wow, he gave a great performance. Well, duh. Duh. He was the iron giant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like all he had the the most notable thing, he'd only
0: he only has uh four credits before the Iron Giant as an actor. And the biggest one is the one directly before this in ninety eight, Saving Private Ryan. So he proved himself Wait, Vin
1: Diesel was in Saving Private Ryan. He
0: was. He's one of the soldiers. In in like the group Holy cow. that movie has more people <laughs> in it than you remember or think there are. Like <laughs> a lot of people had careers made by Saving Private Ryan. And Vin Diesel I was one of them. That. And uh the way they evolve his talking because the first time he dude, speaks yeah. and it's very just
1: it sounds like metal grinding yes you know and then he
0: figures it out more and more and it sounds more and more like talking and at the end well oh, just talking to hogarth
1: superman
0: oh, oh, oh man
1: dude there is something about the delivery of that line mixed with However they did it, the look on this robot's face yeah. of finally feeling like I have found my destiny. I'm happy. This is right.
0: Yeah. Superman. Yeah. Because it's just...
1: Oh, oh, oh. man. Ugh. You are who you choose to be, and he chose to be Superman. And... I
0: am not a gun. Like, that is the point of the movie, and why fuck you, uh... I don't even want to say the movie's name. The movie that used him wrong, <laughs> that the, you know what I'm talking about? Fuck that used too wrong. Fucking the Iron Giant. The, oh, the, yeah. The newer fuck that movie, movie with you know you fuck go into that. the
1: virtual place and the. Well, we don't need it. Ever, yeah. yeah, I don't want to name drop it because
0: because yeah, they fucking ruined the whole point of Iron Giant. Is
1: I am not a gun. I am not a weapon. Uh, if you're going to make a movie about nostalgia, at least get the nostalgia right. Right. Jesus. <laughs> you know? Anyway.
0: Uh, let's talk about uh, our final actor. And honestly, one of the main reasons this movie is so fucking good. I truly believe that the performance wait, by Eli we didn't Marienthal. Talk- well, we didn't, I, you're right. You're right. We didn't I talk about I 100% agree, but we didn't talk about Christopher McDonald as Kent, dude. Christopher McDonald as Kent is really fucking great. Christopher I, McDonald
1: movie was thinking, "Who is this guy? This is such the perfect douchebag." Yep. And then when I looked it up and saw his face, I was like, "Oh yeah, the perfect douchebag." Is he
0: someone to you? Because to me, he is the douchebag from Happy Gilmore. Because that's that, I watched Happy me. Gilmore as a kid a lot. That should go on that's our list who as he well. Is to me um yeah it should yeah but he's been a douchebag in a bunch of <laughs> other movies i mean maybe he's, he's been some that Crippin. character yeah. in like yeah. a lot of adam sandler movies right but like he'll just show yes. up and be like yeah hey, I'm right a guy with fake teeth but this is a different brand of bad guy you know like this is yeah kent is a very distinct character he's very prideful and uh, scrambly you know he will scramble and scrounge to get what he wants
1: yeah great performance uh, and then, and I loved yeah. the balance of that performance with John Mahoney as General Rogard. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, you're right. I he's, really skipped ahead. He's a bad.
1: no. It's all good because he's definitely a uh, old school, like not right. our generation of an actor. Martin Crane but,
0: on Frasier. I mean, like, I yeah, mean that that's even closer to our, uh, you know, our time frame. But, it's like
1: on the in between. We're on right. like we know stuff that he's been in, and we'd be like, oh, that's him. But right. if I say his name to my parents, they're like, yeah, oh, of course. John Mahoney. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> right. But good God, I yeah. love his take on... I know it's a lot of writing that gives the general it like the uh, character arc he has, mm-hmm. but it's just such a good balance because usually the general would be the guy that Kent is. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, fire, fire, fire. Yeah, but totally. But he's just like, you're an idiot. We're all going <laughs> to die. <You laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> <laughs> right,
0: where's that missile coming, Kent? <laughs> he looks up. Yeah, uh, I'm getting out of here. I, I. This is a perfect expu- excuse to bring up this moment because I'm so fucking glad that Kent shows himself as a horrible human being, fires the missile, tells them to fire the missile, jumps in a car and is like, I don't want to die, and tries to drive away. And the Iron Giant just puts his hand down in front of the car and just like, nope. Uh, yep. I love that.
1: And also to t- to mention on that moment. um just because we're getting to the end and I don't think we're going to run out of time but uh did you notice that the kids in school just had a what to do if we get bombed because it was the 19 it was during like the time where they were worried yeah, Russia was going to bomb yeah. them so they learned the technique of duck and cover and that's right. why kent says should we duck and cover and they all look at him like are you, are you a fucking, fucking idiot this is what we teach to kids to make them feel calm this yeah. isn't actually a thing right i found if that nuclear horrifying comes. and sad because that definitely like i said yeah. i don't think brad bird probably learned that because his his time in school was after that yeah but he probably learned about that from his parents like yeah when kids in school in the 50s had to learn how to tuck and cover in case we got nuked right like think about that oh man you know? yeah but anyway uh well now what, let's what bring it back to
0: our final actor the yes the person who played uh hogarth hughes which is such a great name because it's kind who of who names odd. a character hogarth? Hogarth. Like I love it, but it and gosh, it's even it's mentioned so, at one point. Yeah.
1: I think Dean's like Kent. Kent kind of is an like, odd name. Kent says like, it. Yeah, of course. What it's kind of Kent. name is Hogarth?
0: But he's yeah. played by e- e- Eli Marienthal, who he has he had some credits as uh, a kid. And then took a break from film acting from 2004 to 2018, when he, he's had oh, a couple wow. roles on some TV series. But mostly, it looks like he is a poet. He's been recognized as really? uh, a fairly su- successful poet, and he's done some theater as well. And I just uh, I just love that. And his performance in this movie is so good and so genuine and... Goofy, heightened in the moments it needs to be without feeling like a kid, like, you know, doing
1: a bit, you know, like. Totally. Like the coffee moment. It's. When he gets some espresso and he's running around talking fast. Yes. That moment has been done fucking to hell and back. Yes. So wrong, so overdone, so annoyingly. But I was just like,
0: that's a kid. Who, who has had espresso
1: like that and what's better about it that's a guy who let a kid have espresso and is amused by it right and playing into it instead of being yeah. like oh i fucked up he's like so what do you think about that <laughs> yeah, man because right. he's like talking about school or whatever he's like so what are you gonna do right like sound you don't have to worry about what people think of you man that's when he says it actually yeah, that's, that's when he right. says that is you are what, yeah. you, what you what you make yourself man yeah and <laughs> Uh, oh. fun fact about that scene too is Brad Bird actually had to go in and re- like animate extra frames because the oh, he was yeah. moving so fast oh my with God. this style of animation and the frame rate that it was at, he literally would get from like a certain point to another point so fast it looked like he was like teleporting around the room. <laughs> so Brad <laughs> yeah. Bird went in and animated frames between frames. Wow. Yeah, isn't that cool?
0: That is cool, and you know what? I think that scene is actually a good contender in our next and final section.
1: Yeah, maybe yeah, it's, I think so. Maybe
0: it's uh, time we uh, talk about maybe time we talk about a uh,
1: good moment of, of the, the week! week. Oh yeah, uh, now we're gonna be expected to say that at the same time every episode. Shit. Oh
0: shit. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, there's a lot of really good ones. I mean, absolutely the moment we just talked about with the... the even as a ball. kid, I was like, that's hilarious. The the, espresso. Oh, the coffee jitters? Yeah. The cannonball as well, I mean, is probably it. But then there's also uh, where Dean has been using the Iron Giant as, like, helping him make sculptures and stuff and, like, lift metal around. <laughs> and then Hogarth... Says, well, I can think of another use for him. And he's sitting in a car and has the iron giant pick him up in the car and like shake it like he's lifting off. And then spin his abdomen around so that Hogarth is flying in a spaceship. It's <laughs> fucking amazing and one of the most like, oh, I want to do that as a yeah, kid if thing. You're I can, a kid. I
1: can think of at all. And especially because they like. Before that scene, they show us what it's like from Hogarth's point of view to be at that height. When the Iron Giant first lifts him, it's it's like an awe-inspiring moment. He's just amazed. Now he's gotten to the point where he's up there in his little spaceship car. And it's so cool that it's the 50s, so the car he's in looks like a fucking spaceship. Yes, yes, that was the style of car at the time. Yeah, I don't know, man. Okay, so this is what I wanna say we do. Give uh-huh. a shout out to one of the best moments in our childhood of cinema, which is yeah. the Dean floating in the water.
0: Yes. <laughs> There's something about that. <laughs> something really, really But great I think as far that. as
1: a kid moment, you've yeah. gotta give it to that. You brought it's me back to being a kid movie, when you explained right? it just now. Cause like oh, when I was watching it, I was like Oh, man, because the Iron Giant is so big, he wouldn't get dizzy from that. He would just right. hit, like, really high G-force. And, like, yeah. that genuinely would feel like you're flying a spaceship. That's the yeah. coolest idea I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> And then <laughs> going, we're landing! We're landing! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All
0: right. Well, kid moment of the week goes to Spaceship. Hogarth. <laughs> I, uh, I said that slow because I was stumbling on the words. Reveal the curtain a little bit. Uh, but uh, <laughs> if you want to reveal the curtain on the stage of a different podcast, <laughs> nah. you can... Oh. Uh, yeah, oh. <laughs> not great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm falling apart here. We've been talking for a while. <laughs> you can always check out our actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast. And that's called Legendary 4 Adventures. Space Vampires. Thank not space hogarth oh <laughs> thank you gary um, yeah uh i make a lot of music for that at least a new original
1: tune pretty much I'm just every gonna single cut episode. calvin off right now and oh, tell okay. you guys that he sent me a tidbit of something to come i hope he's okay with me doing this if yeah, not man. he'll edit it yeah. out but good <laughs> lord is it fucking good this shit oh, yeah. slaps you could listen to our Legendary 4 podcast having not played D&D and never enjoying D&D and get enough out of the music to start enjoying D&D. I think Calvin has bridged a gap for those who are like, it's just maybe not my thing. I really think he has. So, ah, well, please. Just try it out (laughs) because, God, it's so satisfying as a person who plays. I can't imagine what it would be like for your first listen to some of this shit. Just being hit with the sonic... Yeah, I don't want to talk it up too much because obviously we're, <laughs> yeah. Calvin's not going to like yeah. that. But uh, <laughs> it's great. It's already so enjoy.
0: uncomfortable it. enough. It's extremely kind of you, Gary. Thank you. Uh, and it would be extremely kind of all of you to check that out. And uh, follow us on uh, you know, Spotify. That, that helps us a lot. As well as you can uh, find us, like us, follow us on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all at New Lens Pod. Uh, and if you love that logo that we've got, which I know I do, you can thank Sophina Sago for that because I do every single episode at the end of the episode. <laughs> um, you can
1: also check but out you that you haven't technically list yet you've just referred to doing it, so this episode might be your first that you've broken away from thanking her and instead have you know allowed the others to do it. yeah, fuck off, Sophina. <laughs> <laughs> no she's just (laughs) she stops listening to the podcast because of this (laughs) (laughs) takes back her art
0: oh man please check out that list of ways that you can help out the the black lives matter movement because there's so many ways that you can help and uh so many places you can donate to i always try and switch up the featured donation link to help you uh parse out that list but that is about it and thank you all for listening uh tell your friends if you think they'd be interested that helps us so much uh and uh when you tell them let them know this guy
1: i'm calvin and i'm gary this has been a new lens
0: cry at the end of the episode
1: (laughs) sorry about that sorry